Well, good morning, everybody. It is truly my honor to get to, to be with you and to, uh, to share God's Word with you. It's, isn't this cool, what we're doing, you know? It's just oh, uh, such a blessing. Um, a couple of years ago, a bunch of us pastors were talking about ways to to be united as the church. You know, how, how do we do this? How, and it seemed like each of our ideas were a little big, you know, maybe too much to start out with. And uh, so we just, we were throwing different ideas around. And um, one of us, I think it was Pastor Chad from First Baptist, said, hey, I, what do you guys think about swapping pulpits? And we were just, yes, you know, it was one of those God moments that we, we felt that that is a great idea. And um, I know last year went really well. I didn't hear of of any stonings going on in any churches, anything. So that's great. Went really good. So uh, so we thought, yeah, let's keep doing this. So I'm so honored to be here today, and um, I'm convinced that that this is the the kind of unity among churches that that pleases the heart of God. That that we would be reminded that indeed, as it was just said, that we are one church. We may have different labels and different faces, but ultimately we know that Jesus is coming back just for one bride, right? Amen. Amen. <laughs> yeah, and isn't it great that, you know, churches have all their different personalities, just like people. And and together, I like to tell um, couples in premarital counseling that God's plan in marriage is out of the, all these differences in a man and a woman to together create one decent human being. <laughs> and I think that in the church, God is doing something very similar, right? Giving, you know, different strengths in different parts of the church, but eventually he uh, says that he will make us that one who is without spot, without wrinkle. So I look forward to that. So I am blessed to be here today. Um, I, and you guys are so blessed to have Richie and Nadine. What, what an awesome couple. Amen. Uh, Nadine had taught at the, the uh, school for years over at our church, and, and what a sweet spirit she has. And, um, and Richie, I just count as a great friend. I do have to confess, I'm seriously jealous of that thick black head of hair. I keep thinking if I could just have that, be like Samson, you know, just impact my ministry effectiveness somehow. I don't know. Well, some years ago, I joined a, a short-term outreach team to Columbia for a couple weeks. I had been the children's pastor at, at our church, and there was a need for children's ministry on that outreach. So I connected with the other team members, and uh, we strategized, we prayed, uh, created a vision of what we were going to do for the Lord in Columbia, and, um, and got busy collecting all the stuff we needed. We needed a mobile sound system. We, uh, we built this special puppet stage that could collapse down really small, you know, for travel and, and got all these puppets prepped and, and our props. And uh, we even had to get recordings of, of the puppet skits that we were going to do in Spanish since none of us knew Spanish. But we rehearsed those. We had it down. And uh, I, I learned how to even form the mouth with, with you know, Spanish accent. <laughs> All those nuances. So the time came to leave, and we were set. We had a great plan. 
and uh, the right gear, a professional crate that we shipped early via DHL, and we were good to go. We flew to Mexico City, changed planes, and then on to Bogota, knowing that at this local church that we were connecting with, when we walked in, there would be our crates with all of our special gear. And as you can guess, we arrived at the church, and lo and behold, we were there, but no crates. I was not a happy camper. No stage, no sound system, no props, nothing. Nothing except two extra puppets and a couple of those recordings that one of, our, of the ladies on our team stuffed in her suitcase just in case. Thank God for her. Now, I was grateful to have those two puppets, but I was, I, I have to be honest, I was so very unhappy that our gear didn't make it. Um, you know, there went my grand vision of this, this well-produced, well-oiled, awesome kids' ministry that would just mesmerize Colombian children wherever we went. Instead, I found myself in a strange land with two animal puppets and recorded skits that didn't have animals in them. You know, it's just like, okay, what do we do with this? And mentally, I, I found it really hard to let go of, of the gear and, and move on. Each day I kept checking the status, clinging to this hope that it would show up. But for all 14 days of the trip, that crate never left Miami. In fact, it took us like another month to get it back to Ohio. <laughs> Now, be honest with me this morning. How many of you actually like it when your plans go bad far away from home? Anybody? Okay. I was going to say, if anybody raised your hand, then God's calling you to be a missionary. But at least thank you for being honest. Yeah, when reality doesn't conform to our expectations, it's really hard to let our expectations go. There's even a slew of words for this feeling. Frustration, aggravation, disorientation, bewilderment. We find a lot of security in familiar tools and settings. We know what to expect from those things. And yet life doesn't go that way. And maybe, church, maybe it's not supposed to. This morning I want to talk about holding things loosely. And why adapting to some of the changes thrust upon us can actually be a God thing. If you'd like to follow along in God's Word, I'm reading from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 24. Jeremiah 24. As you know, this is a prophetic book, so look out. It's around 600 years prior to Christ when a a young man named Jeremiah finds himself in a very depressing time in history and in a totally unfamiliar role for him. His nation of Judah was caught in the middle of a tug of war between Babylon on one side and Egypt on the other. Each country sought control of this strategically vital land that we call Israel today, in large part because the major trade routes connecting Europe, Africa, and the Near East all came together there in Israel. An interesting point, I think, when, when you consider God's strategy in, in choosing this particular space on the planet to give to Abraham 
and his offspring, that maybe it wasn't just all about the milk and honey, but about the best location to fulfill God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12:3, when he says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now we know that ultimately that's pointing to Jesus. That through Abraham and then through David, that we would receive our Messiah. And yet, um, how did the word get out about the Messiah? I mean, Jesus lived out his ministry and died on the cross and was resurrected right in this connecting point where people were traveling constantly. So that as later on as the, uh, the apostles would write down the, uh, the records that we have in the Gospels, that, that it would be easy to disseminate. It would get out to, to places like Egypt and Asia and all over the place. So amazing. I just love God's, God's strategy. Isn't it good to know he knows what he's doing? Amen. Especially when our plans don't work out. In Jeremiah's early life, Josiah, which, who was a good king, ruled Judah. But after Josiah's death, his sons turned back to corruption and, and to foreign gods. Jeremiah came from one of the priestly towns, but he wasn't just a, a priest. He ended up receiving a calling of God to be a prophet, which he wasn't initially very excited about. And, and who would be, right? Most of the prophets were ignored and killed. Who wants to sign up for that? Do we have a sign up in the back for that ministry? Yeah, it's, it doesn't sound too exciting, does it? But God's message so burned inside of him that he just couldn't take it. He had to speak it out. Have you ever, ever had that encounter with somebody where, where the Holy Spirit just starts bubbling something up in your heart and, and you're wondering, okay, I'm kind of uncomfortable in this spot to really do this, but I just can't help it. I've got to, I've got to ask them the question. Do you know Jesus? I've got to, I've got to share my joy with them. The reason for my hope. And so this message was burning inside of him. Even though the people at his time ignored him too. And because they ignored him, judgment came in the form of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon invading their land, bringing mass destruction. This weapons of mass destruction is not a new thing. It goes way back. Taking all the skilled workers, leaders, and King Jehoiakim back to Babylon while leaving behind Josiah's third son, Zedekiah, to govern the farmers and the unskilled laborers back in Jerusalem. So knowing that background, let's look at Jeremiah 24, verse 1 through verse 10. After Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the officials, the craftsmen, and the artisans of Judah were carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. The Lord showed me two baskets of figs placed in front of the temple of the Lord. The one basket had very good figs, like those that ripen early. The other basket had very poor figs, so bad they could not be eaten. Then the Lord asked me, what do you see, Jeremiah? Figs. (laughs) I I love those responses in God's word. (laughs) Figs, I answered. The good ones are very good. But the poor ones are so bad, they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good. 
and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God for they will return to me with all their heart. But like the poor figs, which are so bad they cannot be eaten, says the Lord. So will I deal with Zedekiah, king of Judah, his officials, and the survivors from Jerusalem, whether they remain in this land or live in Egypt. I will make them abhorrent and an offense to all the kingdoms of the earth, a reproach and a byword, an object of ridicule and cursing, wherever I banish them. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them until they are destroyed from the land I gave to them and their fathers. Would you pray with me this morning? Thank you, Jesus. Mm. Heavenly Father, it's, it is by Your grace that each of us is, is gathered together here as part of Your family. And Lord, it is by Your Spirit that we are enabled, empowered to not just hear Your Word, but to understand what what Your Spirit is saying to us through the Word. God, I don't come here this morning as, as an expert, but rather as a brother in Christ, longing to dig deeper with my brothers and sisters, to know You more deeply, more genuinely, so that Jesus Christ would be glorified in all of our lives. God, that is our heart today. So, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. God, we thank You for the encouraging parts. We even thank You for the difficult parts because it all speaks to important things about Your nature and how You work through us. I pray, God, help us to have ears to hear this morning each part that Your Spirit is speaking to each of us. We love You, Lord. Thank You for Your presence here, Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so God gives Jeremiah this vision. I love word pictures. I don't know about you guys. I'm a visual learner. You know, but, uh, but he gets this, this picture of these two kinds of people, good and bad, in two baskets. So I figure regardless of which you may be, it looks like we're all basket cases. Sorry, I know. If you were part of my church, you'd get used. You'd get immune to the corn. You know, they're my corny jokes, but... Uh, the people are symbolized as as figs. Anybody like figs? There's a few out there. <laughs> Some clear no's. No, thank you. Um, they're still very popular over in the Middle East. It's a, a, a common staple there. In fact, can be seen as a as a delicacy, as as a, because they can be so sweet. Um, the and apparently the branches from the previous season would bear early figs that were sweeter than those that came from the newer branches. So the last year's branches that, that existed to into the next year, they would give out these early figs before the, the new branches of the current year would produce theirs. And so those were seen as a special thing. I don't know if they were really sweeter or just because people had waited so long. You know, sometimes when you haven't had that sweet thing in a long time, you know, uh, then it's, it's like, wow, this is really powerful. So to them, they, they were definitely more sweet and more special to receive those early figs. And this, this reveals how, God saw, how his heart saw the exiles in Babylon. One, that 
they were useful to him. That they were good. They were something in his basket that he could enjoy. And two, that they were sweet even out of season. As, as figs nourish the person who eats them, these exiles, exiled Jews nourished the heart of God because they had held onto their faith in Him while remaining faithful with their gifts, their skills, the ways that God had made them to be productive. Despite the foreign culture, they lived out their faith as a witness to those that they lived among, even influencing King Nebuchadnezzar and later the Persian King Cyrus and Darius. Daniel is a perfect example of this. Somebody that was exiled over there in this foreign place and, and pressured to compromise his faith, but he refused to do so. He kept his heart pure. And, and Daniel, we see throughout his life with all these various foreign kings that he served under, he never lost that, that on-mission mindset. You know, that he knew that he was God's representative even in this strange land. He never lost sight of his purpose to glorify God in those places, guarding his heart, being a man of prayer, all the while doing his best to be useful to the world that he found himself in. I think that's really important. He, he gave good counsel to the kings that he served under. He didn't just say, oh, I hate you guys. You know, I mean, you took me away from my family, from my homeland. You know, you know, sometimes the, that bitter root can go in so deep that it robs us of all effectiveness. You know, of all of our all of our God-given gifts and, and skills that He would love to to be glorified through, and yet, you know, when we get stuck in that bitter place, it's just it just decays away. But Daniel didn't let that happen in his life, and he stayed true to his calling. He gave good counsel to those kings that he served. It didn't matter that, that they were wicked men, some of them. And, um, you know, he, he didn't take on the whole world that how can I fix this big picture and make God's plan happen faster? He was just faithful to be that reflection of the goodness of God, even in a pagan culture. And it was that usefulness to the foreign culture that created platforms from which the Jews could influence the Babylonians. Like Paul says in Colossians 3.23, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Skillful work earned the exiles the right to be heard. You know, isn't that still true in our day today? You know, that you can have opinions about life and about God and everything, but... It's usually not until you're of some practical use to somebody that they start to warm up to hearing your opinions. They were finally aligning themselves, God's people there, with God's plan to bless the nations, even Gentile nations, even though it meant being totally out of their element, lost in a foreign language. All the traffic signs were in Babylonian, you know, <laughs> bombarded by their worldview on BTN, the Babylonian television network. And yet, they remained faithful. They held on. What was it that Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.2? Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Be ready for every opportunity. Don't wait for conditions to be perfect and well-funded. 
Don't wait until there's a big crowd waiting to hear the gospel. But make the most of every opportunity, Ephesians 5.16 says. Jeremiah's vision is followed by a really beautiful blessing for the good figs and a really scary judgment for the bad ones. Vicki and I, just a couple weeks ago, went away on vacation. And, um, and our youngest two kids couldn't get off work. And we had these really, really good peaches. There's been some good summer fruit out recently, right? And these things, I mean, they were juicy and sweet. They were so good. And we were down to this one last peach sitting there in the kitchen. And so we were going to take off. And Vicki looked at it and said, should I throw it in the trash? And we just, you know, we didn't have it in us. It's too good. We didn't have time to mess with it. We thought, well, let's just leave it for the kids. And so we, we, we took off. And five days later, we come home. And there's that peach. In, sitting in the heat all week, right? And at least it was a form of what was that peach. Our kids never touched it, you know, and it's just, there it was. It, it did what fruit does after time. All the goodness that it has stored up there turns bad if it's not used. We walked into an abhorrent offense, <laughs> a reproach, as, as God put it through Jeremiah. And there was only one thing left to do, throw it away, get it out of here. To God, the figs that got to stay in their homes and their comforts became rotten and useless. Their promised land became a security blanket that blinded their eyes to their mission. And, and we'd be fooling ourselves today, church, to, to think that the same thing can't happen in the church. Jesus told one, in particular, Revelation 3.15, I know your deeds, that, that, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. A strong, strong word that Jesus gives to one of the churches. Don't you find it ironic that the two groups of people represented by these figs the, the one group I would be most worried about turned out to be the most pleasing to God. You know, and, and the group I would assume would be the most effective in their homeland was not. This principle tells us something that our lives right here and right now can apply. Because I don't know if, if you've noticed this or not, but to my eyes, our American culture has become decreasingly godly and increasingly Babylonian. I, I don't mean that as some kind of hatred or curse over our nation. Just an observation of a shift that's been gradually taking place over the last 50 years. And that, that shift seems to be speeding up in a lot of different ways. Is it okay to feel grief over that? Yeah, sure, I think that's the right thing. As a follower of Christ, I can't be excited about the, the pain and the destruction that sin brings in people's lives as our country drifts a little further away from God. And yet at the same time, Jeremiah shows us that our response to that drift must never be to go hide out on some mountain somewhere. Or in our churches, and our home groups, as, as great as, as these times are, as much as we need them, just waiting for God to, to send a revival and, and clean things up out there so it's safe for us to resurface. That's not, that's not his plan. No, no, no. We, we are not called to be the figs that rot 
in the basket. We are called to be the figs that occupy, he says, until he comes back again. Who invest the, that one or that five or ten talents that he gave us and bring him a hundred percent return. Who get to, to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So isn't that who we're called to be, church? Reflecting the light of Christ to the world really isn't rocket science. And yet, I'll confess that it's not easy for our flesh. At some point, you just have to make the decision to do a few things. Number one, get out there. You just got to get out there, right? You got to be exposed to, to those who don't know the Lord. Don't hide out. Don't cling to that security blanket. It's tempting to do so. Can you imagine how hard it was for those exiled, exiled Jews? It would be like, what if, what if North Vietnam, you know, was able to come over here to California and, and just capture a bunch, a bunch of us and ship us across the Pacific? You know, imagine being in a completely foreign culture that you don't know the language, you don't know the customs, you don't know anything. Nothing really fits or makes sense to you. That's, that's the weird part of the story, though. Because on one hand, you have Jews in Babylon wishing they were home, and Jews in Jerusalem relieved that they're not in Babylon. Yet it was the ones who were out there. Granted, they were forced to be out there. <laughs> but it was the ones who were out there who made the biggest impact for God's kingdom. Most people have the tendency to seek out comfort and ease. It's human nature. And, and then... When the world changes things on, on us and becomes unfamiliar, we curse or complain about the changes. You know, it's like, oh, I don't like to, what I see happening. And, and it's real easy to get stuck in that negative mindset. Well, listen to what Jeremiah writes to, to the exiled Jews in a letter just a few chapters later. In Jeremiah 29, verse 4, he writes them this, this really encouraging letter. And I like to imagine myself stuck in a place like North Vietnam and, and, and just dealing with that, with all those differences and wishing so badly I could just go home and be in my own culture. But here's what he writes to them. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. That I think that is so important, church. I'm going to read it again. <laughs> seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I see things happening in our nation and hear bad news, you know, uh, reported, I'm like, this country, you know, I can get all worked up about, you know, politicians and, and different power groups out there. And just I can get so worked up about it and just think, man, this this nation just deserves a good slap. And yet that's not. What God told Jeremiah to write to those people in that culture. He said, pray for my blessing. Pray for my peace. 
Because as it rains down, right, it rains on the just and the unjust, the word says. So as God brings his favor in different ways, it, you are among those people. And so that's what you're going to experience. If we'll hold our comforts loosely, it will allow us to thrive even in the foreign places of life. Second, second thing I see here is to enjoy the adventure. So important, especially when we're being stretched. We kind of tend to freak out, you know, the anxiety level goes up. We've really got to learn to enjoy the adventure. And I don't want to say try hard, because that kind of ruins enjoyment, doesn't it? (laughs) When you're like, you know, that just doesn't connect. It's more of a letting go. It's just a relaxing in trusting your God with where He has you. To simply savor the small blessings in your life, no matter where you find yourself or how it's all playing out. Ecclesiastes isn't known as the most upbeat book in the Bible. Uh, Solomon, the book's author, could, could be a real bummer <laughs> but uh, about how life doesn't always make sense or go according to plan. But despite life's unpredictable moments, he did come to this realization in Ecclesiastes 5.18. He says there, Here's what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor in which he toils under the sun all the days of his life which God gives him. For it is his heritage. It's good. Yeah, there's, there's the big picture we can kind of get, you know, all crazied about when it's not doesn't seem to be going, you know, just right. And yet we've got we've to learn to enjoy these great moments. That's why he's telling them, build your houses, have kids, have a life. You know, and, and get settled there. And God promised he, to them, he said, I'm going to clean out the bad figs. And later on, I'm going to bring you guys here back home because of your faithfulness. But in the meantime, live your lives. Enjoy the adventure. It doesn't matter where you are, what happens to you. You always have the option to bloom where you're planted and make the very best of it. Finally, number three, give away a genuine gospel. The world doesn't need platitudes. It needs active, selfless love. It doesn't need a watered-down gospel either. It needs the good news that Jesus has reconciled us to God. And often what earns us the right to share that hope is when we're willing to get our hands dirty to pull somebody out of a pit willing to share our own story of how Jesus changed our lives, of the difference that He is making in each of us. Romans 12:4, Paul reminds us, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I mean, no doubt the people, that the exiles in Babylon had to be persecuted. They were outsiders. You know, I mean, it's just it's just what people groups do to one another. When, when outsiders come in, it's like, now we have a new whipping boy. And so no doubt they had to ex- have experienced that. And yet there's this principle in God's word. Don't reciprocate that attitude and that hatred, but rather bless instead of curse. When uh, my crate didn't show up in Bogota, I took on a cursing attitude <laughs> about that whole trip. I mean, basically, since I believed in my heart that the trip was ruined, I was ruining the trip for the first 
few days. I mean, my attitude was so bad about it that it was rippling out. It was affecting the rest of, of our, our kids' ministry team. And, and then the Lord smacked me upside the head. He, he got a hold of me and, and said, Ron, the stuff doesn't matter. It's not about the stuff. You know, use what you have. You're here to give the good news. You still have that. Okay? You're here. You still have a mouth. You have an interpreter. (laughs) Use these great things you have. And so I I taught about listening to God's word. I'll never forget. I had uh, brought earbuds, you know, that I used the airplane down to listen to some music. And I was talking about how, to the kids, how we have the option to listen either to God or to the world. And I had some of my team pretending to be worldly influences, right? You know, trying to get my attention. And I just put in my earbuds and I plugged it into the pages of my Bible. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and you know, the kids got it. You know, they're, they're laughing and they're like, yeah, they're nodding their heads. They, it, it connected. Even without our perfect puppet stage. Go figure. You know, I, I shared with another group about how we, how when we seek to be a blessing to others, and since it's kids, you know, to each other and to our parents, that it's like the, what the Word says, when we cast our bread on the water, how it comes back to us. And I had my plants out in the audience with the kids, so when I tossed out this little crumb, they all threw a bunch of biscuits at me. You know, and the kids got it. Oh, yeah, you, you, you put out just this little, and God blesses you back so much. It's amazing, you know, that my attitude, my cursing attitude, I, I could have completely ruined the trip. And, and that ministry, I could have been in the, had that amazing opportunity for two weeks to be in a foreign land and miss the opportunity to make a difference in those kids' lives. And yet once I got it through my thick skull, but the changes don't matter. Just flow with what God is doing, and He'll use what you have. And that's exactly what he did. I think of you guys just as a church. You guys have walked this out. Um, when this church was birthed, you became part of a, a Bible study in a home, right? And, and that didn't look like church per se, was it this kind of building, but it was church. It doesn't matter what, what structure what you're in. It was stretching and different, but you went with it. You adjusted to, to sharing a building now with another congregation and learned a fresh way that it, it meant to be the body of Christ. I mean, that's what it takes, that kind of flexibility. None of that could have happened if, if you had chosen to just stick with the familiar. God had a fresh new thing to create that would bless all of your lives in this community. And because you chose to flow with the Spirit, today, Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship is alive and well. Amen? But there's a lot more that God wants to do. Like new ways of reaching people with the message of Jesus. New ways of opening doors with people by skillfully blessing the Ojai community. And I'm so glad that we get to be on the same team together. Amen? Well, I just want to close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, it is tempting to cling to familiar places. Even going to church can become too familiar for us. I just pray, Lord Jesus, would you equip us 
to hear your voice and be quick to answer your call, even when it takes us beyond what we know. Help us to not cling to things that that only decay our hearts. Help us to hold our schedules loosely enough to make time for one another. God, I pray that we would listen for the voice of your Spirit as you as you prompt us to, to do things that maybe we wouldn't normally do, that we would be quick to say yes and quick to be used. Father, I pray the same blessing that you gave the exiles over this church family, that you will watch over them for their good, that you will bring back the prodigals and those who have drifted, that you would build up your church and plant them in deeper ways, making them more fruitful than ever before. All the while, giving them a heart to know you more deeply. Because Jesus, even more important than being effective to reach people for you, comes our relationship with you. God, I pray that you would tie our hearts so close, so so tight with you. Lord, that the ministry that we are prepared to to give to the world comes out of a living, genuine relationship with you. So Jesus, we thank you so much for what you have done. We thank you today for your word. God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.